Well, that's what we do to elephants in the room. We put them right out there for the world to see. You know, by elephant, what I mean is this. You ever heard the, that phrase, the elephant in the room? It's a, an idiom, a figure of speech, and it says that there's a, an uncomfortable situation that everybody's aware of, but nobody wants to talk about because it's so uncomfortable. And as we were moving into the holidays, obviously you, you know that there are people who are hurting, there are people who are suffering. and A lot of times it's uncomfortable, and so we just decide that we don't want to talk about it. And it sits there as an elephant in the room. And as I've talked to different people, and the cool thing is this. This message, I probably had five or six people help me put it together. So for all of you, thank you, you know, for the pieces that you brought to this. And uh, some of you, the life that you've lived in the midst of this, thank you for that. It's, it's helped inform this message. Uh, and so what we all have learned through the process of our own grieving is that you have to lean into it. It's almost counterintuitive. You, you want to pull back. You, you don't want to maybe deal. But the reality is the most important thing, the most holy and helpful and healing thing you can do is actually lean into the loss, lean into the grieving. And so that's what we want to do today. And so I want to try to inform this message. Let it be informed by Scripture. And, and so Kim Skinders and I were looking at this and she said, well, what are the scriptures of grief? And I said, yeah, you know what is interesting to me is, is that we talk about grief and, grief and loss at funerals. But I asked her, I said, how many times have you heard anybody preach on grief or loss and you not be at a funeral? We sat and paused. I don't know if any of you have ever heard one. I've not preached one. I, I've not heard one that I, that I know of. And I said, we got to do better than that. You know, as, as Christians, we have, to, we have to do better at that because everyone goes through it. If you live long enough, this is an experience of life. And I just believe that Christians are supposed to own the difficult spaces in the world. The, the difficult places, the places that other people don't want to go, the, the dark spots where other people are afraid of. I believe that as Christians, we're supposed to own those places and we carry light into those places. And so the, the God is light and His Word is light and it is love. And I want it to inform us today. And so let me begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning in verse 26, it says, We are members of one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Did you know that if you're a believer and you're part of the body of Christ, when there's something going on with you, it means that there's something going on with every person in the body that you fellowship with? You see, we live in a world that tells us we're individuals and we look out for ourselves and for our own and we don't think community. And a lot of times we don't even necessarily care about what's going on. Can we be quite honest? We don't necessarily even care about what's going on with, with other people. But I'll tell you that if it's bothering you, it's bothering us. If it's bothering me, it's going to come out in you because our lives are one body. You're part of one body. The reality is, what's going on over at a church across town affects us too. Because guess what? We're part of them. 
They're a part of us. What's going on in the church in India, in the church in the Middle East? You know what? We're one body. So one of the things we have to do when we talk about this thing of grief and loss is to realize that we are not islands. But we are part of a body. So then what do we do as part of that body? Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Ooh, I like that. I like that part. Rejoice with those who rejoice. But there's not a period after that. It's a comma. Look with me. It's, it's not a period. It's a comma. So we have to keep going when you get to a comma, right? You take a breath. At a comma, I used to tell my son when he couldn't figure out where to put the periods in the commas, I say, when you, when you take a, a breath but you're going to keep going, it's a comma. So we take a breath and we keep going. Rejoice with those who rejoice. <gasps> and weep with those who weep. Oh, but I bet you somewhere probably happened when you were growing up. Somebody looked at you and they said, look, dry those tears up. You ever hear that? Quit your crying. Pull yourself together. You ever heard that? Knock it off. And, and we, we tell people that because we think that we're making them tough. And we think that we're making them strong. And a lot of times we even have this mindset that if we're Christians, we shouldn't cry. That there shouldn't be any grief, there shouldn't be any loss, there shouldn't be any mourning. That as Christians, if somehow Jesus has come into our life, that that takes all of that out and that we're just supposed to be happy. I, I don't see the Bible talking about happy much. I see it talking about joy. But what I see a lot of people wanting to be is happy. And what I'll tell you is you can't be happy if you seek for happiness. But you can find joy if you look to Christ. And if you look to Christ, weeping, crying will not only be a part of your life, but it should be a part of the life you live with people around you. Which means one of the most beautiful things you can do it's when someone is crying, it's to cry with them. Do you know that when Job was sitting with his friends, and his friends were just sitting, and they weren't saying a word, they were doing just fine. And then they started to talk. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that in your own personal life? That when there were people around you and they were just with you, it was good. And then they thought they had to say something smart. That they thought they had to say something comforting to, to get you out of your sadness. In fact, a lot of times when someone is sad, we'll have this default position which is, oh, I got to do something to get the sadness out. Because it's almost like sadness is dirt, and if you get close to it, it'll get you dirty. And you might not be able to get the dirt out. You might not get the sadness out. So you're like, ooh, sadness, oh no, got to tell a joke. Ooh, ooh, sadness, oh no, got to change the story. But I want to tell you that Scripture says this, rejoice with those who rejoice. But don't be afraid to weep with those who weep. Because the tears of God are no accident. 
Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept. Shortest memory verse in the Bible. Some of you learned that when you had that bring one back to Sunday school. Jesus wept. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. Jesus wept when he looked at the city of Jerusalem. Jesus wept in the garden. If Jesus wept, maybe you're supposed to weep too. Maybe it's okay if you weep. And so what we do sometimes is we want to get ourselves out of those uncomfortable moments and we rely on some funeral cliches. Chris Shrewsbury and I made a list of about ten of them. They, they sound like this. Well, God just needed them more than we did. Well, it was just their time. Well, they're better off. My personal favorite. Well, God just needed another angel. Oh. That's bad theology, and it's a bad cliche. <laughs> okay? Let's go on and get that straight right here, okay? <laughs> it, somebody else may carry that into a ne- another funeral, but we'll say we won't, okay? All right, they're going home. It's not God needing another angel. That's, that's not how it works, okay? I'll tell you what, and I didn't realize this until I lost my mother. Everybody always says, you know, I'm, I'm going over and I'm going to visit or I'm going to the funeral home or whatever it may be. And the, the common phrase is, I have no idea what to. What do you say? What, what can you say? Nothing. Nothing. Do you know it's okay to not speak? <laughs> it is. It is absolutely permissible for you to go to the next funeral and not say a word. It's not. Now, you can, but you don't don't feel like you have to because the most important thing you did is you showed up, is that you were there. One of the most important things is to know that you're not going through it alone. That's why I don't know why anybody wants to be outside the body of Christ. I don't know why anyone wants to do life without a church family. Because I'm like, when the going gets tough, where do you go? Where where, where do you go? Because you see, I go to y'all. Because <laughs> you're my people. I go to y'all, and what I learned that is one of the most precious things in the world, and it, and it still happens, is when someone walks up to me and they say, hey, how you doing? And there's that little connection that you know they know. You, you know what they're saying. They're like, I know it's that time of year for you. I, I, I know it's... Uh, You know what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about the one you love. How are you doing? And then you look back and you go, "Mm. Mm. there's there's just no words, right? I mean, we could say I'm doing doing great and I might be, but then tomorrow I might not be. You know, and so it's like kind of comes and goes. One of the most beautiful things you can do is connect to the heart of a grieving person and just say, how you doing? 
I love you. And when you make that kind of connection, that's generous. Do you know what kind of generosity it is? It's emotional generosity. Ooh, some of you didn't even know there was such a thing. Some of you are sitting there saying, well, I don't have money, so I can't be generous. Sure you can. You can be generous with your emotions. Which means that if you're crying, I can cry with you. I'll share my, my emotions with you. <laughs> Chris's brother passed away and I was at the beach. And I've wrestled in my spirit of what in the world I was supposed to do. And I finally realized, I said, I can't stay here at the beach because I'm not happy. <laughs> I'm not happy here. I got to get back to Chester. Why? Because my brother's weeping and I got to go weep with him. You know, one of the most important things you can ever do is show up and drop your cliches and realize that in that moment you are being generous with your emotions. And if you don't, if you don't let your emotions out, hmm, well, then you'll have to self-medicate yourself. If, if you don't cry and let God do what He wants to do in that moment of your life, you will find a replacement that will get you out of that situation. So my, my team of folks, we, we came up with a, a list of some things. You'll start eating because food becomes comfort. When you need comfort. You'll, you'll start shopping. Because it feels good to have something new. <laughs> so you'll spend some money you don't have. You'll get real busy. You'll get wrapped up in your business. You'll become a, a workaholic. Or an alcoholic. That's the place where your drinking becomes medicine. And that's when it's gone too far. If you ever want to know when you cross the line, that's where you cross the line, where, where alcohol has now become medicine. You'll turn to prescription medication. Or you'll turn to illegal drugs. Or you'll turn to gambling. Or you'll get involved in relationships. It's a long list, isn't it? Yeah. You'll get involved in sex. Because you're thinking, boy, it sure feels good. And I don't think about it for a little bit. But then you got to wake up the next morning. You turn to pornography. You turn to, to running. Chris Roosbury, she told me, she said, don't forget running. That was, that was my drug of choice. And I noticed that first year that she was gone a lot. And I said, you know what I think she's doing? I think she's running. And you were, right? And we do. Because if we do not lean in, you will find a way to not feel the hurt. And what I want to tell you is that if you will let God bring you into that situation, let's say it this way, you got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Can I say that? Being comfortable with the uncomfortable. You gotta, you gotta lean into it just a little bit. Because here's the thing, the Holy Spirit has a name. He is the comforter. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit. He said, I want to tell you my name, that, that I'll send you a comforter. You know why he sent you a comforter? 
because it is impossible for you to avoid all the uncomfortable situations in life. That was good, Kevin. That was good. Thank you very much, Kevin. Everybody's a little bit like Chris Shrewsbury when it comes to comfortable and uncomfortable. We all want to run. But the reality is you got to lean into it. you got to get comfortable with the fact that sometimes life is uncomfortable, but that God has given you a comforter who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, who will always be there. In fact, even if you cry yourself to sleep at night, He won't. He'll still be awake. <laughs> Watching over you. So we, we lean into this thing and we trust that in the midst of that, that God is going to minister to us. And here is what God says about the loss of a loved one. Psalm 116.15 Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of His saints. You hear that? Precious. You're like, wait a minute, Kevin, you need to explain that to me. That sounds a little bit morbid or something. Here's what he's saying. That he loves his people, his creation, the ones that he breathed life into. He loves them so much that that moment that comes when they return to him, he calls it precious. It's a holy moment. It's, it's deep. I, I'm, I'm telling you, as a pastor, I have the, the amazing opportunity to be with people when their babies are being born. Actually, after their babies are being born. <laughs> I wait until after they're born. In fact, even when my own was being born, the nurse came over. She said, come on over. I'm like, oh, no. No, no, please. I've got insurance. Really, I can pay. You do it. Please do it. I have those moments to spend when, when babies are being born. And man, that's holy. And it is precious. But I'll tell you, when I get to walk with you through the loss of the ones that you love, that's holy too. In fact, I met this guy over here, this very distinguished dressing man named Isaiah Mobley. I, well, first time I ever met him, I said, man, that man can dress. I'm like, I need to let him pick out clothes for me. And we met him. We were going to go for a ride. And I said, let's just go for a ride. We'll get to know each other and we'll talk. And I showed him some things that the church was doing in ministry. And Isaiah began to tell me about his wife, Juanetta. And as he was telling me about her, I could just feel love oozing from every word that came out of his mouth. And as I was driving the car, I realized that we were having church that I was in the midst of a, a holy moment with this man, that he was sharing with me a relationship with a person that had absolutely transformed his life. And I said, ooh, he just taught me something. <laughs> he, he taught me that it is holy to talk about the ones that you love. And to share their lives with other people. And he was even smart enough to tell me. He said, Kevin, the reason I'm doing it is not because I, I, know, I don't know if you care about Juanetta or not. It just helps heal my heart. It's medicine. And when my mom passed away, Isaiah, you had already preached to me, my brother. 
And so when I got to do the eulogy for my mom, I said, what a beautiful opportunity that just like Isaiah, I can frame her life for people. That they can hear about her life from me. You see, I think people ought to hear about your loved ones from you. Audrey told me about her beautiful child that passed away. And I, was, I re still remember where I was, Audrey. I was on my back porch and I was talking to you. You see, that's how holy those times are. They're so holy you remember where you are when you're having the conversations. And I was on the back porch and she was talking to me about her beautiful son, one of twins. And it was amazing. Chris Shrewsbury told me, she said, one of the things that I fear the most is that people will just forget my beautiful Savannah. And she posted a picture, and somebody responded back, a friend, and she said, Savannah, whoo, she was a game changer. <laughs> and, and so we, we talk, and we share those moments with each other, and they're good, and I encourage you to do it because it's holy, and their lives are precious. Even their passing is precious in the eyes of the Lord. And then we come to this reality that, that grief is universal. If you live long enough, you will face it. If you live long enough, you will lose someone you loved. I, I escaped for a lot of my life, losing people that I love, but, but then you lose this, this one. Ooh, and you know when you had one, you're like, oh, that one. And, and so, so it's universal, but it's unique. And we ought to talk about that because we don't necessarily tell people how to walk out the days ahead. So even if you've not been there, let this be one of those times that goes ahead of you like Isaiah that I'll preach to you before you need it so you'll have it when you need it. That, that when the, the grief comes, here's what Scripture says, that there is a time to be born and there's a time to die. And we know that is true. But Ecclesiastes goes on to say this, there's also a time to mourn. There's a time to grieve. And Scripture says that there are ways that we can grieve. We can grieve as those who have no hope. Or we can grieve as those who have hope. Yeah, and I just choose to believe that that's how we're going to grieve it. That that's how we're, we're going to do it. And so when we, we grieve, we have to understand that it's human. People say, I hurt so bad. I remember Joy coming to me and she said, it, it hurts so bad. I said, I know it does. I said, you know what that means? That means you loved somebody well. And that somebody loved you well. That's what grieving is. The pain you feel is that pain of loss that says somebody touched your life in an amazing way that forever leaves you changed. And so grief then is that time that you, you begin to think about things. That's why you got to lean into it. You, you got to think about the person that they were. You got to remember them. You, you got to sort some things out. You, you, you turn introspective for just a little bit and, and you're, you're sorting through who they were, even what they did for you. You, you have to sort through the fact, oh, they did that. Okay, now, now I have to do that or someone has to do that. And, and so grief is that process by which you think about all the things that are, are changing and things that will be different and processing who they were to you and what they meant to you. And it's a healthy thing. Some people say this, you got to feel, heal, and deal. 
Three things, right? You got to feel it. You got to let God heal you progressively. And you got to learn to deal with new normals. And here's a big one. You got to learn to celebrate. Don't forget that. Don't forget to celebrate the beautiful things. Don't forget to celebrate the, the beautiful times that you had. Celebrate their life. A lady named Frances Weller, she said this, Grief is wild and untamed, and it cannot be domesticated. But I thought it could. So I, I was going through everything, and I thought, You know what, God? I've got to go down to Winsboro, and I've got to pick out the gravestone, and it's about a 30-minute drive. And I said, So God, I'm going to have 30 minutes there and 30 minutes back. That would be a good time for me to cry if I need to cry. Because, yeah, you laugh, yeah. <laughs> it sounded smart, Lacey, when I said it. Yeah. And, and, and so I'm, I'm going down there, and I'm like, you know, but Grady's a good, you know, he's an old friend, and I hadn't seen him in a long time, and I don't want my eyes to be all watery and red and everything. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to cry in front of Grady. I'll wait till I get done. I'll cry on my way back home. Get done with Grady, get all the stuff done. I get in my car, buckle my seatbelt up. I'm like, okay, God. Start the car. I'm driving down the road. I'm like, all right, God, I'm ready to cry this thing out. I don't feel sad right now. I'm like, God, ah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to grieve. Nothing. Silence. I said, God, what are we doing? <laughs> what, what are we doing? It's still silence. I'm, I'm headed back to Chester. I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, Kevin, did you think you could schedule grief? <laughs> Just like that. That's exactly how I heard it. He, I'll say it again. He said, Kevin, did you really think you could schedule grief? I got home. Bradley and Caden were at the table getting ready to eat. I came in. I sat down at the table. I said, God taught me something today. They said, what? I said, you can't schedule grief. <laughs> you can't schedule it. You ought to be able to laugh when you want to laugh. You ought to be able to cry when you need to cry. And you ought to, be, you ought to know that there are some times where it's going to catch you completely unaware. <laughs> Chris Beard told me at uh, breakfast one morning, he said, Kevin, he said, it takes about a year to walk through at least all the things that you're going to do for the first time. He said, so you'll, you'll think that you kind of walk through some things and maybe it's all behind you. He said, but something's going to slip up on you that you didn't know, that's going to remind you, and you didn't see it coming. And he said, it'll be okay. And I'll pass that message along from Chris to you. Is that sometimes it'll just slip up and get you. And when it does, just lean into it and let God heal. Here's what I found. is that our emotions are actually indicating the areas where God wants to move. Can I say that again? Because that applies to a lot of things, not just grief, okay? So our emotions, and, and that's why I'm not a fan of, of trying to take all of the emotions out of a person to where they can't feel. Because our emotions are actually pointing to something that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, wants to do so that you don't stay in that emotion forever, that God actually brings healing to that situation and, and moves you out of it. But if you keep running past the road signs, if you ain't careful, you'll, you'll go over a cliff. 
and you can't figure out what happened, it was because, and, and God was sitting there saying, I sent all those emotions to tell you that you had a problem. To, to tell you that there was something unsettled in you. And the reason I sent it to you is because I thought that would draw us together and I'd help you settle it. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Huh? He, he said, you were going to be oblivious to it. You weren't even going to know it was there. You're just going to run off a cliff. But in my great love for you, I sent you those emotions to hold you up right there where you would cry out to me and say, God, what is this thing going on in me? Why do I feel unsettled? Why do I feel frustrated? Why do I feel angry? Why do I feel alone? And then let God move in those areas and bring healing. Oh, I could close out right there. Oh, let God point you, but know that He's not going to leave you there. And so these, these waves come. We should talk about those. Some people talk about them in five stages, and, and, and you don't necessarily have to talk about it that way, but, but we, should, we should be prepared, and I want you to be prepared, okay? Part of this, that's what today is, is preparing. When something first happens and you experience that loss, it's like, oh, I know that didn't just, did that just happen? You're like, you just kind of sit somewhere and you go, that did not happen. This can't be real. It's that phase where you're like, it's denial. It's, this can't be real. And, and you can't determine how long that's going to last. Any of these. You can't determine how long these emotions, they come like waves. <laughs> Some waves are bigger and longer than other waves. But it can come, I, I can't believe. Surely that's not true. Surely they're not gone. And if you're not careful, then that moves into this thing called anger. And all of a sudden, now you're mad at them. You're like, how could you leave me? You know I needed you. you know. Or you get mad at someone else. They're the one that caused my person to be gone. And now your anger lights on them. Or you're mad at yourself. I didn't do enough. I, I'm the cause. I'm the one. It did it. And you get angry. And can I tell you, that's one I really think we have to be careful of. Because anger can find a place to light and it will stay if you let it. It'll build a nest there. And you want to move through it, not build nest right there. And, and, and then you, you start bargaining. You start thinking, man, if I could if I, if I have just loved them more. If I, if I could have just been more understanding. If, if I hadn't have fussed at them the last time I saw them. And you play that if-then thing. If I had known, I would have done this. And you have to work through some of those scenarios. You can move through a time, and, and we can call it depression or like depression, and it's just dark. It's, it is, it's a dark place, and you're like, whew, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this thing. And, and I've talked to people and I look at them and I'll say, can I tell you that you're not going crazy? And they look at me and they're like, I'm not. Because <laughs> I think I am. And you look at them and you say, no, you, you're, not, you're not going crazy. You're just grieving. That's, that's the process. And there are times where it gets dark. But I'll tell you that, that there's also joy in the morning. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, that, that God, will, God will bring you, bring you through. And, and so a lot of times, I guess we should talk about that, is that people will look at you after about a year and they'll say, so 
they're essentially asking this. So have you moved on yet? Like, have you, have you gotten over it? Have you, have you moved on? <laughs> Can I tell you that you don't move on? You move through. You don't move on. You move through. In fact, you don't even want to move on. Can I just say that? When you've lost someone who you really love, you don't want to move on. You want to stay connected to them. I, I was thinking about the ways that we, that we stay connected to the people that we love. I, I can't move on from Dorothy Taylor because I got her nose. <laughs> Go look at the picture. <laughs> I don't have earlobes. That's why I have to wear this convoluted microphone system up here that wraps around both my ears because I don't have earlobes. I was like 17 years old dating my wife and her sister looked at me and she said, oh, you don't have earlobes. I said, yes, I do. She said, no, you don't. I said, I do. She said, go look in the mirror. You don't have earlobes. I went and looked in the mirror and I'm like, I'm 17 years old. I don't have earlobes, Katie. Go look at my mama's picture. She doesn't have earlobes. Sometimes they give you things, sometimes they take things away. <laughs> you, you see things in your life that remind you of them. Their life has influenced the way you live and do things. So you're never going to move on for them. You're carrying with you the love and the memories and the knowledge that you, that you have. We, we do it in other ways. Um, Natalie back there, I said, can I, can I, you, I'm going to use some of you, I don't think you're mine. Natalie has a, ink on her wrist down here and it says I love you it's from her mom you know why because you don't move on you don't even want to uh, Amy has uh, uh, some ink of her on running this way and it says God is faithful right yeah uh, from a letter that her dad wrote you know as a constant reminder what a constant reminder God is faithful yeah how many of you have something on your body of someone that you love huh you know why? Because you don't move on. You move through. And you don't want to forget. And so you, there'll be times where you laugh and there'll be times that you cry. There'll be things that no matter what you do, you're always going to laugh at that. You're always going to remember them. In fact, I remember after it was over, I looked on my voicemail and I was, I was scrolling through and I went, oh, I deleted my voicemail. And I thought if I had just kept one of those messages from my mama, I could have remembered her voice. Have any of you ever wondered if you were going to forget their voice? Yeah, that's natural too. And I thought, oh, if I'd have just had a voicemail, I could have captured her voice. It would have sounded something like this. Kevin, this is your mama. Every voicemail was just like that. Kevin, this is your mama. And, and, so, and so those things always make us laugh or they always make us cry. But I want to point you to a day. I want to point you to a day in the future. <laughs> I, want to, I want to point you to a day when everything is said and done that Revelation 21 says this. <laughs> There's coming a day, y'all. You want to know about this day? It's a day when he says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There's a day coming, y'all, when he's going to wipe away every tear. Can you come up here for a minute, Joy? It's a... Because she loves me, and I love her, and I know that she'll let me do this. It's a beautiful image in Scripture. Because have you noticed that you don't let people touch your face unless you trust them? If I reached for some of your faces right now, you'd be like, oh, you better get up. You better get, oh, you better get back. You know, just if you want to try it and get slapped, just go somewhere to somebody you don't know and reach for their face and you will find out that a face is a very personal thing in someone's life. And if you reach for it and you're not closely associated, you can get hurt. But picture this image. Take your glasses off. That there's coming a day and Jesus is going to come up and he's going to do this. He's going to wipe away every tear. And he gets to do it because he's the one that loves us. The scripture says, gave his life for us. That Isaiah says this, that he bore our sorrow and he carried our grief. And what did he do? He took those things and he nailed them to a cross. And on that day, Satan thought that he'd won because the weight of sin, here Jesus stands on the cross dying for you and me. Giving his life. And he dies and Satan looks around and he must have thought. Because if he knew the truth, he wouldn't have killed him. <laughs> if, if he knew what was getting ready to happen, he never would have put him on the cross. But he saw him there and Satan had to think, we got him. We have literally killed God. <laughs> but three days later. <laughs> uh, ooh, but, but three days later, God said, I have had a plan since the foundations of the world. <laughs> I have had a plan that I would send my son. <laughs> and he would give his life. He would bear our sorrows. And he would carry our grief. He would become a curse for us. So that by his stripes we might be healed. So that he would go into the grave and die. And the Father would say, because he is sinless, the grave can't hold him. And he raised him up on the third day. Oh, I feel like I'm preaching the Easter service now. <laughs> and he raised him up on the third day. Why? Because God said, because if you want to live, you can. I'll make an exchange with you. My son will take your sin. So that you can take His righteousness. So that when and if you die before His coming, yeah. Yeah. it won't be final. He will raise you up with Him. Mm -hmm. And regardless, if you get raised up or if He comes back and gets you, 
all the guilt, all the what-ifs, He'll wipe away those tears. And then guess what? There'll be no more death. And there'll be no more sorrow. Because you will live in view of the perfect one. And then you will sing that song, or at least feel it inside. It is well. It is well. So that's what happens and I want to invite you into a, into a relationship with Jesus Christ because of the ones that I talked to. They said, Kevin, it's important that everyone grieving know that you can grieve and still have this unexplainable peace that surpasses understanding, that you know that you know that God is with you. In fact, two people said, I, I can't explain it, but I felt it. And I want to tell you, wherever you are, even if you're listening to us on Facebook Live, I'll tell you that there is a peace. And it comes from a person. His name is Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. And even in the midst of your hurting, somehow you say, how is it that I can long for the one that I love and still be such, so at peace, knowing that God's going to make it okay, that, that God's going to do it, that God's going to get me through it. And some of you are saying, but Kevin, that's in the future. What about now? So I want to close with the now. I'm going to get Gaddy here, Chris, and Noah, will you do this too? Want to take, take a side, and I want you to take a, a blank sheet of paper. Here's the thing that we often forget about grief and loss. is that grief and loss is an opportunity to write another chapter of your life. Can you hear me? It's an opportunity to write another chapter. A lot of times when we go through grief and loss, we think, that's it, it's over, I'm done. That's, that's the end of things. But the reality is this, that you serve a God who says that His mercies are new every day. Every day. So even if you came in here and you're not experiencing grief or loss, over someone you love, you may be experiencing grief or loss over a life that you think you have tanked. Yeah. Yeah, that you think is over. That you think you've messed up beyond repair. And the reality is this. That every day you wake up, can I tell you? Every day you wake up, if you feel like you are not living your life according to the good plans that God has for you, guess what? You can start over. You can change. You can do something different. How many times? Breathe. As long as you have breath. Every time you have breath, you know that you can start again. And so, what is God going to do right now? Here's what He's going to do. His grace in the midst of your loss is going to be greater. His grace is going to be greater. You know why I know that? Because Scripture calls it super abounding grace. Which means that whatever you're facing, when you see grace, 
Grace says, I'm greater. I'm greater than your worst sin. I'm greater than the thing you regret that you didn't do for the one that you loved. I'm greater than the word that you spoke that wasn't kind and you can't take it back. I'm greater. I'm greater than the sin of your life. I'm greater. And so one of the things you ought to put over top on this piece of paper is that regardless of what you face today or tomorrow, God's grace is greater. His grace is greater. And then, you, you got to do this to your piece of paper. You can do it when you get home. you got to do this. you got to put a, a corner. And, and that corner represents Jesus who is the cornerstone. Oh, now bear with me. I'm going somewhere. He's the, he's the cornerstone. You see, back when they used to build buildings, they would put a, a stone first. It was called the cornerstone. And the reason they put a cornerstone is because it would show you which way to go straight in this direction and which way to go straight in that direction. And oftentimes, it would be a memorial there as to who that building belonged to. <laughs> so you need a cornerstone. You need someone to belong to. If you came in here and you're an orphan, and I don't mean because you're the last one living, but because God is not Father, then I invite you to draw in this cornerstone and to know that the cornerstone said, Whosoever will may come unto me. Whosoever will. And if you want to be adopted into a relationship with Jesus Christ and God your Father, then draw in that cornerstone. And I want to talk to you before this service is over. And then for all of us, we put that cornerstone in because there are times in our lives where we realize that we have been building and we have been building without a cornerstone. And, and I got this word, I don't know where it came from, but it's called wumpy jaws. I know, Isaiah, they don't use that in New Jersey. <laughs> wumpy jawed means this. You look at something, you go, hmm, that's crooked. Mm, that, ooh, that's terrible looking. You know, just things going all kind of directions and doesn't make sense in your life. Ooh, that's unskilled labor. You know? Do you know that when Jesus is not your cornerstone, that's what you're going to get? You're going to get a wumpy jawed life. <laughs> you, you, you're going to get a life that's going all which way. It's like today it's going this way, and tomorrow it's going that way, and the next day it's going toward this public opinion, and, and it's going in all kinds of directions, and five years into it, you're going to look back and go, Lord, my life is a mess. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit, if that's what happens to you, draws you back to the day that I said, that's what you're going to get unless you let Jesus be your cornerstone. So when you start new life, put Christ first. Let Him be the cornerstone. Build off of that. And then allow the person's life to also be a part of building. You might say, you know what? I did some things with that person, and I don't want to do them that way again. I'm going to change. Woo! What a beautiful testament and testimony to that person. Because I can tell you 
that that person would look at you and say, look, I don't want you to live in regret. I don't want you to live in guilt. I don't want you living in the what ifs. I want you to learn from the mistakes that you made. I want you to own them. And I want you to move through and let me inform you of how to live. Yeah. So today, you have an opportunity because of what you've experienced to be more compassionate with other people. You have an opportunity to be more loving than you've ever been before. You have an opportunity to be generous with your time, with your emotions, with everything that you have. And what I would suggest is that you get along with God. And I gave you a big old sheet of paper because I wanted it to feel awkward in your hands. It's, you're like, wait a minute, this thing's big, and what am I supposed to do with it? And probably some of you have already started to fold it right. Uh-huh, yeah, 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 see? Some of you have already folded it because it's got to fit somewhere, you know, in your pocket or your Bible or something, and it was awkward the way that it was. And I did that on purpose because when you start making a new life based on Jesus as the cornerstone, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward. And you're going to want to quit. And you want to go back to what's familiar to you. And I will tell you this, if you are going to follow Christ, you must be comfortable in the uncomfortable. So let it be awkward. Let it be a little awkward. Let it be a little different. Let people look at it and say, what in the world are you doing with a blank sheet of paper carrying it around? And you would say, I have discovered that where one thing ends, God always lets something new begin. 